Welcome to the Team Health Podcast Program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one in our leadership series. The COVID-19 crisis is in many ways unique and tests the skills and talents of our leaders. Does it require more of the same tried and true leadership abilities, or must we innovate? Perhaps both. Today, to discuss leadership during crisis, I welcome our guest host, Dr. Richard Juman, the National Director of Psychological Services at Team Health. Among other contributions, he was the president of the New York Psychological Association for nine years and previously the president of Insight Business Works, excelling at coaching, team building, and change management. Our guest speaker will be Dr. Heather Owens, Team Health Chief Clinical Officer of Emergency Medicine and the co-chair of the Clinician Resiliency and Wellbeing Group. How apropos for today's leadership discussion. And now, Dr. Juman. Hi, everyone. This is Richard Juman. It's no surprise that the role of the immediate supervisor is paramount when it comes to clinician satisfaction and retention. A recent study from the Mayo Clinic looked at the impact of leadership on burnout and clinician satisfaction. The results indicated that clinicians' ratings of their immediate supervisor accounted for 11% of the variation in clinician burnout and 47% of the variation in clinician satisfaction. 47%. So while the immediate supervisor is obviously always crucial, right now we're in a national crisis where the role of the supervisor is heightened. Is crisis leadership simply an amplification of good leadership or does the expression, what got you here won't get you there apply? Are the leadership behaviors and strategies that are necessary in a crisis different than the behaviors and strategies that work on a regular basis. We're going to dive into these issues in speaking with Dr. Heather Owen, the newly appointed Chief Clinical Officer for Emergency Medicine and my co-chair on Team Health's Clinician Resiliency Core Group. Dr. Owen, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So I know that you wouldn't have been asked to take on your new role if you didn't already have a track record as a clinical leader. Can you outline some of the roles that you've played in the past, both prior to joining Team Health and since you've been a part of this organization? Yes, I'd be happy to. And, and again, thank you very much for, for having me here. And I'm really looking forward to settling into the Chief Clinical Officer for Emergency Medicine role. It is a, such an honor and privilege to support my colleagues in this role. I'm really looking forward to it. And of course, there's certainly no better time to take on a challenge, right? Right. (laughs) So prior to accepting this role, I was the Chief Safety and Quality Officer for Emergency Medicine Consultants of Team Health. Uh, We're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I served in that role for over four years. And during that time, I was responsible for developing our safety and quality program. We developed clinical initiatives. We shared best practices across all of our facilities, all of our hospital systems. We standardized quality review and Ultimately, over time, we, uh, we changed the culture. We changed our culture to be one of safety first um, and a strongly educational culture. 
I directed our CME programming. We had two annual educational conferences. We had an annual simulation lab course, and I guided all of our physician education efforts. And additionally, uh, in addition to that role, I am very involved with American College of Emergency Physicians. I served as the president of Texas ASAP in 2016 uh, and really enjoyed uh, that role and, and my time serving our colleagues in that manner. And then, of course, within Team Health, I now co-chair the you know, Clinician Resiliency Committee with you, which kind of leads us to today. Awesome. Thanks so much. So let, let me start our discussion of leadership in a crisis by asking you first to describe your general approach to clinical leadership, some of the principles and strategies that you've historically used to lead and manage clinicians. Absolutely. My, uh, my leadership style is, is to lead by example, first and foremost. Uh, never ask someone else to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And then, of course, to surround yourself with a strong team. There's nothing, nothing is accomplished in isolation, and it takes teamwork and collaboration to accomplish the goals that you set. And so your team is very important and paramount to that. I prefer to create a cohesive team where everyone has a role and feels empowered to contribute. I think it's important to know the unique talents of each member on your team and to understand what motivates them. So that overall, everybody wants to be helpful. Everybody wants to contribute. So maximizing their potential and allowing them to work on projects that they feel passionate about will also lead to greater success as a team. The goal is to empower and encourage them. Uh, let them do what they do best. And then specifically, when leading clinicians, you're collaborating with a group of highly intelligent, independent thinkers. I feel it's important to approach them with respect and understand what their expectations are of, um, of a leader. They value factual information, transparency, honesty. Um, they don't want to hear about presumptions. They want to hear details and not generalizations. It's important to respect their autonomy and allow them to participate in each of the decisions that are made and the processes that are developed. You know, engaging those you're leading and allowing them to be part of that, you know, to be an active participant in the decision-making process really increases their engagement, um, support, and long, ultimately long-term long -term success. So you mentioned the importance of the team. Um, and those of us who grew up playing team sports or were involved in scouting or later on in a military scenario, can easily understand how important a cohesive team can be. Are there any specific activities or actions that you've engaged in uh, in order to foster improved team cohesiveness in the groups that you've worked with? Yes, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's really about encouraging networking outside of the work environment. And we have found that to be very valuable, uh, very welcomed and truly enjoyed um, by our entire group. You know, allowing the team to interact on a personal level and to get to know each other and to get to know each other's families and spend time together in a social environment uh, really changes changes that relationship and, the, and those interactions. We've implemented through our local wellness committee activities such as an annual bonfire. We've done dinner parties. We've done spouse dinners. We've done, you know, annual events such as, you know, everybody goes to the baseball game together, a day at the lake. We've worked to kind of cohort those with similar interests. So there's a 
group that may want to get together and go golfing or go to the theater or go shopping together, things like that. But the goal is, is really to get everybody together. We have found that the specific activity is not near as important as just simply having the opportunity to spend time together. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how or whether the leader's role needs to change during a period of extraordinary stress, such as the one we're all experiencing now during the pandemic. Is it a, a doubling down on the principles and strategies, the stuff that's worked right along? Or are there some fundamental changes that could be made in order to go from a quote unquote normal environment into a crisis mindset? really a bit of both. I think it is a doubling down on those tried and true principles, but it also requires a sophisticated, intentional approach. In a time of crisis, the foundation of your leadership is what you build on. Um, that's the time when your role as a leader is highlighted. Those around you look up to you. They want to see you lead with confidence. They want you to make decisive decisions, and they want to see your call to action. Um, you know, leading in a time of crisis requires that you're informed and transparent, that you're truthful, and that you're overly communicative. During uncertain times, it's okay to acknowledge um, that uncertainty. It's important to do so. You know, it's always important to admit what is not known, and that honesty and that transparency will help leaders gain respect and maintain credibility, which is important when you're leading in a time of uncertainty. But it's also valuable to highlight that the decisions made today are the best decisions at the time with the most accurate information that's available. And we know that that environment is evolving and the data available today will change. And as it changes, those decisions will change as well. It doesn't mean that those decisions were wrong at the time. It just simply means that we must be nimble and agile and we must evolve with the situation. And as you approach those that you're leading, it's important to make that clear to them so that they understand and they see your transparency and they can walk through those steps with you. You know, crisis leadership requires flexibility and innovation, um, a willingness to head in a different direction as the situation dictates, which is sometimes very different than what we're used to. And beyond these, you know, strong leadership skills, there's a whole other aspect uh, that's required during leading in a crisis, and I think it's often overlooked. It's when you as a leader move from command, control, deploy, to listening and nurturing and encouraging. It's being human in the greatest sense of the word, showing compassion and understanding and empathy um, to those around you and to your colleagues. Our leaders work innumerable hours. I mean, often behind the scene, ensuring that their departments are running efficiently, that they're exceeding expectations, that they're checking all the appropriate boxes, and then they're unexpectedly thrown into the spotlight. And with the uncertainty of a crisis, everybody looks to them for guidance, but they also really look to them for support. You know, being a leader during that time means that you just simply allow others to be human. You sit with them in silence when they need it, and you make them feel safe to express their vulnerabilities. You assuage their anxieties. And, you know, maybe they have an ill parent at home that you don't know about, or maybe they have a pregnant wife. You know, sometimes there's something going on in their personal life that makes the current crisis even more stressful for them than others, and sometimes being a leader is just simply being there. Uh, and this role cannot be underestimated in a time of crisis. I do think it's often overlooked, 
I think the value of it is often overlooked, and I think it's one of the most valuable things we do as leaders in a time of crisis is just simply being human uh, and being there. So you've mentioned uh, how important it is for a leader to be attuned to what's going on in the, the people that, in your case, she supervises. Are there any examples that come to mind over the past month or so where your knowledge of the individual circumstances of uh, your clinicians or um, you know, what their mindsets were uh, led you to make some accommodation that would allow them to, you know, stay on in a somewhat different role? Yes, there have been, there have been multiple examples of that exact situation, you know, very quickly to come to mind. We, um, you know, as we interact with, with our clinicians as leaders, we want to make them feel comfortable. And right now, more than ever, we want them to feel comfortable expressing their concerns and their vulnerabilities. And we want to approach them very non-judgmentally um, and with great understanding. And when you establish that relationship with them, they then feel comfortable coming to you with those concerns. And often as a leader, you can pick up on, you know, on on uncertainties in their life as well. And we had two specific situations that, that like I said, come to mind. And one was a female physician who um, was seeking to change out some of her shifts, which is a very unusual pattern for her. And so a simple conversation, you know, just approaching her and, and very quickly she shared that she had struggled with infertility for some time and that she was pregnant and hadn't, you know, shared that with everybody just yet, but that she was very concerned about her pregnancy. And this was such a desired pregnancy and such a, uh, a difficult time for them getting pregnant that she didn't want to do anything at risking that pregnancy at all. And of course, we all understand that and we can all respect that and, and wanted to do what we could. So we were able um, to make some accommodations for her so that she could continue working and be successful in her work environment without putting her at additional risk. And the other was a, was a similar situation. We had a, a physician who had raised some concerns about uh, PPE standards and available PPE, which I think we've all experienced during this crisis. And, mm -hmm. you know, some might have, you know, misperceived as to why he was so concerned. But when you really sat down and had a conversation with him, it was just that he was, you know, currently living with his in-laws and he um, had, you know, two elderly people in the home and he didn't want to risk exposing them. And if they become sick and you just, your mind starts to kind of take you down that whole, you know, that whole snowball effect of why is, why is he so concerned about the standard and what is his worry? And what is his concern? And then you allow them, you just sit with them and allow them to express that. And then of course, again, I'm easily able to make accommodations um, to again, allow him to meet his work requirements and be able to work, um, but also to assuage those concerns and those anxieties. And it's those moments that are the most valuable as a leader during crisis. It's just really being able to be there. We're all experiencing unprecedented stress. We're all experiencing unprecedented times with uncertainty and questions and allowing them to feel that they are comfortable and able to express their concerns is very valuable to those that we're leading right now. So you've uh, obviously been thrust into a national role during an unprecedented moment. I'm sure your head is spinning a little bit. <laughs> Can you tell us how your leadership style has changed uh, 
And is that simply because the role is larger or due to the crisis itself or the scope of it? What's it been like for you? It will, it will be absolutely both for sure. You know, my leadership style will evolve as I take on this national role because it is a larger role and it will require more for sure. And I've, I've learned a great deal from each of my experiences in the past and I will continue to learn from this as well. And, you know, each of my mentors along the way has taught me how to be a better leader and a better team member. And this will be no different, but certainly taking on a role in a time of crisis does require a slightly different approach, as you can imagine. You know, entering in the, uh, the midst of chaos requires a bit of pause. I'm used to jumping right in, finding my space and kind of moving forward pretty quickly. By the time you take a new role, you kind of have in your mind kind of how you, you know, envision it moving forward and kind of what projects you want to get started on. And, and now I really feel like it, uh, it requires a, a moment to learn. You know, I feel like I jumped in and kind of paused for a second, which is an unusual space for me, but it really requires a moment to observe and really take in and appreciate the amazing work that's going on. And there's an immense amount of work that's being done and taking the moment to find the right manner to integrate myself in a productive way will take a little bit of time. That's an unusual approach for me. Like I mentioned, I usually jump right in and I'm ready to go. Um, but I do think that taking on this role in a, you know, in the midst of an unprecedented crisis has given me just a bit of pause. I'll kind of stop, look around, learn my way around, taking everything like a sponge and then be able to integrate myself uh, most productively to be as successful and to, and to support in this role as best I can right now. So like I said, I'm, I'm sure your head is spinning sometimes. You've got a new reporting structure, new cohorts, people that you're dealing with on a regular basis. How have you been able to acclimate yourself to the logistics of the new role? You know, I would say uh, it's absolutely with guidance uh, from Dr. Crane. I mean, Dr. Crane has been invaluable during this time, and um, his role in the pandemic has been incredible and very evident. I think he has more hours in his day than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. he, um, his guidance and his mentorship will really help carve my path. And then ultimately, um, we'll guide our goals as, you know, we emerge from this pandemic and navigate our new normal. Um, but Dr. Crane has been uh, phenomenal and very helpful and will continue to do so. So Dr. Owen, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, before we close, are there any other ideas that we haven't touched on yet that you think would be important for our listeners to hear? Yes, Dr. Jumani, and thank you again for having me. It is my pleasure and my honor to be here. And uh, I do, I most want our leaders to know that they're doing an amazing job. They're really doing an amazing job. The stories that percolate up and are shared regularly are simply amazing and a testament to our strong leaders and their amazing ability to lead during this time. I do want them and I want our frontline physicians and our APCs to know that it is okay to struggle right now. It's okay to feel vulnerable. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. I know that that's a very uncomfortable place for almost all of us. You know, we're used to being the ones with all the answers and we're the leaders of the medical team and we're leaders in our community and, you know, we're the strength in our homes. But it is okay not to be okay. It's not a weakness. It's just simply humanity. And allowing yourself some grace and extending that grace to others is really important during that time. And at the end of the day, we will all get through this as a team. We will do it. Well, thanks for that. And thanks again for spending time with us, Dr. Owen. My pleasure. Thank you as well. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Juman and Dr. Owen. We can all learn from your experience and leadership. I hope you found this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast on leadership during crisis to be as informative as I have. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Be safe.